think a lot of things that I hear from parents too is just kind of how they feel when they interact with the district. I've heard a lot of like kind of criticism about not feeling very heard and when they do bring up issues that are important to them, which can be a range of things, but I hear frequently that parents don't feel heard by the district and that when they present problems, it's always kind of like a, uh, I think maybe steamrolled could be a, a good good word. You know, they, they feel steamrolled with like a well-worded response. And I think a lot of parents would love to hear, hey, we hear you. We see what you mean. Maybe we didn't do is right there. We acknowledge that. Here's how we're going to do better. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Jamie Holland. Not on X. We got a big show planned for you guys today. A little different structurally on the program. We're going to cover a bunch of different headlines that have been taking place over the course of the last week in the news in Nashville. And then we're going to have an education conversation with Nashville scene education reporter Kelsey Byler. So that's coming up a little bit later on. We are going to cover uh, we've got some some politic updates in the the U.S. Senate race in the state of Tennessee in terms of fundraising. We've got our first Metro Council meeting that took place last week on uh, October 3rd, of course, with all the new members uh, and the new vice mayor, Angie Henderson, in charge of all that stuff. Uh, a lighthearted topic that I'm going to ask you about, Jamie, in terms of driverless taxis. A couple of very serious topics. The committee, uh, excuse me, the community oversight board has been disbanded. What does that mean for the future of monitoring police in the city? There are some startling sexual assault statistics and trends about Lower Broadway that we're going to get into with some, I think, important advice and actionable items for the folks out there listening in our community. So a lot of stuff to do on the show today. Uh, Jamie, if the if the good folks have some thoughts about the show, where should they go and put those thoughts? Well, if they're on Apple Podcasts, which is where I listen to my podcast, they have to scroll all the way down. If they click on a show... On an episode, they're not going to get there. They have to scroll all the way down, and the more episodes you get, the farther it is you got to scroll. But while we're talking about that, give five stars, not four stars. If four, you're a hater, but shout out to 615Dad for editing and changing the word council, as in lawyer, to council, as in metro council, with the star, asterisk. Shout out, 615Dad. Thank, you, thank you, but you're still a hater. If you are a member of the Tennessee Supreme Court and you happen to be listening on Monday, five stars would be great because as soon as we discussed indigent defense attorney crisis in this state, people who cannot afford their attorneys because the $50 per hour rate was way too low. Including overhead. Including overhead. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification there, Jamie. Uh, the Tennessee State Supreme Court, of course, said, look, how about 30 more bucks an hour? Let's, let's bump it up to 80. So I am assuming... That the entire Tennessee Supreme Court, friends of the pod. Five stars, y'all. Five stars. Amen. They, they, Braden, they gave five more dollars per hour than a fingerprint expert. <laughs> now, if that if you're in law school listening to this and that doesn't warm your heart, I don't know what will. But to suggest that that fucking anyway solves the problem is 
I think you said three hundred dollars last week on the show. I think is what you said. I mean, three hundred is a good start. I wouldn't say that's an appropriate fee on an hourly basis for somebody that's been in practice ten years or more. But you know, if you've been in practice for a year or two, yeah, the current prevailing rate is at least three hundred dollars an hour. If you are charged with a crime in the state and you cannot afford an attorney to defend you, the Tennessee Supreme Court has decided that we'll give you a thirty dollar per hour better defense. And, so there you go. And to be clear, it's progress, dude. It's progress. To be clear, it, it's a baby step. It is progress. Thanks for listening, Tennessee Supreme Court. Forward, to the show. forward movement. Dear lawyers that are doing this work, one, God bless you. Two, but you know that they're not. That's not being paid on a weekly, monthly, or quarterly basis. That's at the conclusion of the case. All right. So there is some movement on the indigent crisis there. So a little bit. So we do. uh, That is important to note here at the top of the show. All right. We'll get to uh, Kelsey Byler and talk education. Uh, Incredibly complex. Well, before we move on. Difficult. Let's. I'm doing my my build up here. Don Diener says something I agree with which is in Melissa Brown's reporting at the Tennessee, quote, a comprehensive plan to restructure and improve the court-appointed system is what is needed. I concur. Okay. You good? Yep. Going to have a great conversation about education. Incredibly complex issue with many ins and outs and what have you, and Kelsey Byler is going to cover that here coming up uh, in a little bit. But we got a lot of headlines to get to this week on the show, and, of course, Number one for us, the uh, Community Oversight Board has been disbanded. That was, of course, part of state legislation. October 27th, every employee, all part 47 full-time equivalent employees. Full-time equivalent, FTE. Yeah, 47. They have been fired, essentially, or removed from their jobs and are allowed to, so gracious, they're allowed to reapply for the, the, the positions. And essentially what happens is... A new police advisory and review committee will be formed, and the job of the, the COB was about reviewing and auditing and monitoring and investigating police behavior and investigations, and we'll get to what, what's happening from a legal standpoint in just a second, but you were a part of, you, you've sort of, I guess, adjacent to the COB. Can you quickly tell everybody the purpose of the COB? Do you believe that this new police advisory and review committees will have any power or teeth in terms of actually being able to do the job that the COB has been doing over the last few years? I represented Community Oversight Now, which was the advocacy group that collected the signatures to put the referendum on the ballot opposite the fraternal order of police and their millions of dollars trying to keep it from passing. I think it got almost 70% of the vote. But after that litigation process played out, I was not involved in the setup or operation of it. You know, when Andrew Delkey murdered Daniel Hambrick in the back on Joe Johnston just across from MLK High School in the July of 2018, that was the catalyst that, one, got the signatures necessary and two got it over the goal line since that time had been involved but there was a state bill that was passed and so it applies to the city of memphis and shelby county and in knoxville knox county and here davidson county we'll we'll get to why that's important you know i don't second 
I, I can't tell you what the community oversight board has done. I don't follow it on a daily basis, but I know one thing they did was help produce a driving wild black report and also their data analysis for license plate readers has been very informative to the community and a service. Now what that's going to look like over time with the review board is there won't be any investigative powers. They won't be able to subpoena records and whatnot. And that, that leads into the story or the conflict. Oh, can I, can I set it up for you? Go ahead. Can I set it up for you? So uh, there's obviously a bunch of different lawsuits, right? From Metro legal, our favorite department, Metro legals sucks, filed, filed all these lawsuits. Can't believe Uh, that's not a t-shirt. Yeah. Well, we're, we're getting there, man. Uh, Metro Legals filed all these lawsuits about a lot of different things, right? The airport authority, a bunch of other things. Um, State legislation that is supposedly attacking only Nashville, of course, under the home rule law that they can say, look, you can't target a single community, basically. And and I I work with you, Jamie, so I'm basically a lawyer. So here's the problem. Metro Legal, Wally Dietz decides this is not a, a case we are going to charge. And oh, by the way, you are not allowed to have outside counsel. Why is that interesting? Because Metro Legal also represents who, Jamie? The police. That's right. So basically, the COB oversight on the police is being forced to have the exact same representation as the police. Now, could there be a legal argument that, look, this is not a home rule case? Because like you said, it could apply to a bunch of different communities around the state. So... It doesn't work that way. Maybe they don't have legal. This is this is Wally Dietz's argument, right? That we have no legal claim to fight this disbanding of the, the COB. But what what are we doing? Why not why not allow them to at least have outside counsel instead of the same person who's representing the, the police? Am I wrong on on being pulling my hair out at look, reading that that sentence? Is that where the, the blame lies? Davidson County Election Commission often hires its own outside counsel. There's a professor at Vanderbilt that they were paying $800 an hour for on a fool's fucking errand to try to get the matter of Wallace v. Metro reversed. I won that case at Tennessee Supreme Court 5-0. Yeah, they should. I, I don't, the, the mayor, O'Connell, and the council, there's no appetite there to reduce funding for police accountability in whatever form that looks like. That's going to continue. I don't see that changing. The, the question is, what capacity will it have to do anything? I, I don't know. The, the point you make, and it's a very good one, do you want the police lawyer representing you? I mean, that's just fucking stupid, Braden. <laughs> stupid. Like I said, I work with you now, so I'm kind of a lawyer. So I, even I saw that and was like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? At least allow them to have outside counsel. It doesn't mean that they're going to win the case or file the suit or you know, again, maybe they don't have any legal claim, but I think there's a lot of people that are concerned about oversight with the police. And to your point, I think it's important to note that there still is a lot of support for funding and a lot of the things that the mayor's office wants to do with oversight of police investigation, behavior, work, etc. How much legal teeth, I guess, is the right question. Are, are they going to have? I don't I don't think we know. I have no idea. But what what is frustrating to me is someone that worked on that getting that on the ballot along with the smartest motherfucker I know, Daniel Horowitz, is that there was no effort made to hire or use professionals to impact or influence 
that legislation as it was traveling through the House and Senate. That's what's disheartening. If you're not at the table, you are 100% on the menu. And there was no effort made to engage professionals to do something about it. Do you, do you have any sense of where this goes? No. It's a tough tough day for, for those that are in favor of oversight. So we'll see. But to your point, it's not like we didn't see this coming, right? Clear is the nose on your face. Yeah, there you go. Uh, all right, so we'll keep we'll keep you updated on that, and let's hope that the advisory and review committees have some power. I'm not holding out hope. Uh, we shall see. All right, we got a couple of lighter topics to get to, but I think there is there is a story in the Tennessean about what is taking place on Lower Broadway in terms of sexual assault, drugs, roofies, and what is happening to people who are essentially what, what's taking place downtown. And there's, this is a, it's a really complicated conversation, but it's an, a very old conversation. It's a conversation that we have had many, many times in across this country in, in communities about trying to protect people when they go out and try to have fun. Ba- basically the, the sexual assault center has said since January one, it started tracking women who are saying, look, it was, we were, I was drugged and roughly one, one quarter, uh, so from between January and August, according to the Sexual Assault Center, 25% of all assaults have some sort of, uh, I don't know, what, what do you want to call it, like a drug-induced blackout where women came to and basically said, and there's a really horrifying story in the, in the lead of that Tennessean article, basically saying, look, it was clear that I was drugged, very clear. There's another 17% that are saying, I'm not sure, which when I read that, Jamie, I don't know about you, I, I read, yeah, yeah, you were. <laughs> so... Uh, in my opinion. So we're talking 40% of sexual assaults that are being reported to the sexual assault center are coming from drug induced incidents on lower Broadway. Now in 2018, a safe bar, I don't know what you call it. It's a, a program program. Yeah. A, a, it's called the safe bar program that if you take a couple of hours of training, if at least a certain number of your staff have taken this training, uh, it's about protocols. It's about understanding what to do in situations to try to keep your patrons safe at the bars. And this includes coasters, by the way, that can detect ketamine and GHB, which are two, two of the more commonly used drugs in this situation. And one, one bar downtown, which is now my favorite bar downtown, Whiskey Bent, is the only bar downtown that has, in five years, taken the training to try to keep its people safe at the bar. And so, which is which includes the coasters and... Hey, the CVC's got some coasters in their office. They are for free. They are available. Uh, noted women's rights advocate, Steve Smith, uh, who owns a bunch of those bars, said he didn't even know about this plan. He'll take some coasters. But he'll take some coasters. That's great. That's great. In, in my neighborhood, in East Nashville, your neighborhood, I know which bars are a part of this safe bar program. Shout out Pearl Diver, shout out Dino's, shout out Lakeside Lounge, Lakeside Lounge, big fan. All of those places are part of the Safe Bar program. There's not enough in the state that have taken this. It, it seems very minimal to take this step to try to, you know, make it a little bit safer for people to come to your establishment. And only one. Go talk to your local bar and say, please join this program. What are you doing to keep? And it's not even just women either. It is now men being drugged. And, and it's not even just women and sexual assault. It's more than that. So uh, really illuminating article. 
there are some things that could be done, and apparently no one on Lower Broadway is doing them. Can you imagine a scenario where those bars have to renew their beer permit, which is a local metro-issued permit, had to check a box that said they are part of the Safe Bar program, or they have to pay some sort of penalty or tax or fee if they're not going to do it or make some affirmative that maybe what, since we have a majority women council, they could take this matter up because it's serious. It's, it, I'm not going to go in detail, Braden, but it's impacted our life, mine and my wife's life. And I would encourage all those members of the council to sometime instead of taking a picture, riding the bus, Go to Lower Broadham Friday or Saturday night between riding the bus is important too. Between ten p, uh, it's bus theater. (laughs) Between ten p.m. and midnight or one a.m. and just go in these bars themselves, not not as a group, not as a collective, but on their own with their spouse or life partner, whatever the case may be, and see what's going on for themselves. And I think they would be incentivized to promote the safe bar program, maybe even put more money into it. But yeah, we definitely have to protect women, men, consumers of lower bra. Cause it's out of, you know, it's clearly out of hand. And the former president of the CVC, Butch spirit. And he, he said, you know, we're about to kill our golden goose. Well, he was talking about in that, in the context of transpotainment. Well, I submit to all our listeners and I, I have represented somebody that operates a transpotainment operation. And the reason why it's popular is because of this women groups. When they come here, they don't want to be subject to sexual assault being drugged because what, what did we learn in that story? Well, number one, the Metro national police department does not track statistics on the number of sexual assault victims who were drugged. Nor does it track incidents of drugging at bars, but it does track fatal, non-fatal overdoses because it's kind of like a hidden crime because once you're drugged, it leaves your body. I was going to say, that's the stuff we do know is how how it works. In a certain amount of time. Well, they're not going to regulate themselves. See, above five years, one bar. One fucking bar? (laughs) What are we doing? Do we not care? What are, I think the Metro Council provided $75,000 in funding to promote it. It involves training your staff. The, you this know, is not, it's not a huge bar to clear here, Jamie. Like, to be a part of the, this, it's literally a low, safe bar. And they, they can't. Oh. But God damn it, if you park your car on the grass in your yard, the legal department, environmental court, they're fucking coming to get your ass. 40%. Of sexual assaults, and the, and frankly, the you, everyone should go read the story because the the woman in, in question is or, or that was telling the story is a forty year old from Spring Hill, who doesn't drink, so she knows exactly what happened to her, and she woke up in a guy's apartment the next morning, having no clue how she got there with medical issues. What are we doing? And I know people what don't li- don't like you know think sexual and human trafficking is not a thing, but I submit to you it's a thing, particularly when we have items in town like the draft and there's a mass of people massive alcohol which is every friday and saturday night hey go down there yeah check it out come up with some reform tie it to the issuance of the beer permit if they won't do it obligatory make it compulsory 
as a condition of getting your beer permit, there's things that can be done. We have to be better humans. Well, and I also think, I, I don't mean to be intentionally vague here, but like there's a lot of stories you hear about a lot of different things happening on Broadway. And it, it is, it, the, the chaos factor is ramping up. It should not, it's not a surprise that this is where we've ended up after the last few years of behavior, that we've now gotten to the point where it, it is a dangerous place to be if you are a, a lot of different people, but especially women. And you've, you've brought me around on the transportainment thing. As ugly and as heinous and as obnoxious and as ridiculous as they look, if, if I, have two, I have two daughters, if it's a 21 and a 22-year-old daughter that are going downtown, I'd much rather be on a damn John Deere flatbed than inside one of well, those Well, not that guy. Bars. That guy doesn't have a fucking permit. And sorry, He's, he's sorry. being taken to the woodshed. Nashville, you know, tra- Nashville you know. tractor. Okay, that's what I need to do? Nashville tractor. Well, there's a lot of them, right? There's a stupid-ass hot tub. There's a damn pedal tire. No, hot tub, of- hot tub didn't last. They got him. He didn't have a permit for his pool. <laughs> <laughs> they call it a pool. And, and it's a gla- inside a glass case. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. But if it's safer, if it's safer then I, I, I'm coming around on it. I'm willing to listen. If it's safer, you know, the opposition group safe fund Nashville. Well, I don't hear them advocating for the safe implementation of the safe bar program. They're bitching about the noise. It's like, Hey, you're, you're right there. You were right you're, there. You're, so close. you're right there. So <laughs> close. Go in the bar. I don't know what the fuck's going on. It's, it's a sexual predator playground. There you go. All right. Well, here's the other thing you can do in your local community is just make sure your bar that you like to frequent, just have a conversation with the folks that run it. Have a conversation with the bartenders. Have a conversation with people and say, look, do you know what the safe bar program is? Heard about it on this great show that I gave five stars to, Pod Bless Nashville. Because if you gave four stars, you're a hater. But if you ask your bar, hey, join this, join this. I think there's only 50 or so in the state. Is that what I, it's not even a very popular program across the state. So this is up to us as people, as patrons to go in and make sure our bars are keeping us safe. I w- Jamie, I want to be able to go get drunk whenever I want to. And not feel and not feel stressed out about it. Okay, you know H- Hannah Herner wrote about this in November 2022 in the Nashville Scene. Here we are, October 2023, almost a year later. Nothing's changed. Like and and it's gotten worse. Can't right. Hey, we got to get in the safe bar program. Train these people. The CVC. It's like it's right there. <laughs> It's right there. It's catty corner. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else on that particular issue? Can we joke just, about can we joke about driverless taxis for a second just to lighten the mood? Can we please can we do get that? council members to go down there on Friday night, Saturday night, between 10 and 1 a.m. and see for themselves what's going on? Then maybe they'll do something. Yeah. Go without, go without security. Hey, see how guess it feels. the bus depot? It's downtown. It'll take you there. You can go home on the bus. <laughs> I have, by the way, I but have. But just don't take a picture. Just no, ride the bus without the selfie. I did that. I went to a show at the Ryman a couple of weeks ago, and I jumped, me and my buddy jumped on the, the bus depot and rode You didn't right. jump on the bus depot. Sorry, either. you know what I mean. We, we <laughs> ran up to the bus depot and jumped on a bus and for $2 got back to my neighborhood. $2. Got, you know where I got back to? Shout out to Dino's. We went back to Dino's that has the safe bar program because <laughs> we were scared to be on Broadway. Uh, okay. But I would like to know, somebody do some public records request to find out, like, what are the bars where these assaults are coming from? I suspect people know. People just aren't telling. You mean, let, it, you let mean it, in the forms that the women are filling out at the sexual assault center that's tracking this information? Let us know. 
Maybe we'll have Rachel Freeman on here who runs the sexual assault center one I, day. I think there we go. Well, he, all you need to know is only one is doing the right thing. I'm now lo- brand loyal to one bar downtown. Well, I think you need to go visit them. Yep, I think you're right. Uh, it's I've, I, I already know. I don't, I don't like it. Uh, all right, quick, quickly here, I just want to mention this to lighten the mood because um, there was an accident with one of these cruise driverless taxis here in town, and it was not technically caused by the driverless part. It was caused by another person with that was driving a vehicle. But that being said, Nashville is a is a testing ground for these driverless taxis that are kind of all across these different markets now. San Francisco is where they come from, of course. General Motors, GM is the is the the parent company. They're in Charlotte, Atlanta, San Diego, Austin, a handful of places. They do not work in cold weather, shockingly. So they're only being tested in markets like ours and the, the things that are happening are first responders are being blocked because these things like wig out at the littlest things. I think people think, oh, they're more dangerous. They're actually not more dangerous. If we had a, here's the question. Would you take a driverless taxi right now to get up and down? From, let's say you're going to Lower Broadway to do this. Two council members are going downtown to go check out Lower Broadway. Are you taking a driverless taxi? Do you trust it? I'm not a council member, but I'm not getting in a driverless taxi. No. The only way, in my opinion that they work because they, they, they tout all these numbers, right? Like 3 million driving hours with zero human fatalities and incidents. They actually are safer than us driving, but that's only if every car is driverless. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work. If we're interacting human and machine, it doesn't work. And are, are we at an Uber Lyft rideshare deficit that would cause this place so. to want to come on board? I don't understand. That's what I don't know. Who is in charge of allowing this to take place? I, I don't. I've talked to some folks and nobody knows. And so, what I think is interesting is, like, a woman in San Francisco was hit by the car, so there has not been a lot of like human injury. But what's happening is nine one one calls have tripled, and and first responders cannot get to where they need to go because of traffic slowing. It's making traffic worse is what's happening. And so what I think is funny is everyone's like, oh, I don't trust to ride in the car that's not being driven by a person. I think what's more interesting is it actually is affecting the community in a different way. And driving, riding in the taxi itself is probably fairly safe. It is the impact that they have on the community trying to function around them that is the problem. So I just don't be surprised you read, read the headlines about fire truck can't get to, to fire just because of driverless taxis and it's it's absurd it's absurd i don't what, what are we doing what in order for mass transit to happen or just even small transit dedicated bus lane we ha- we have to make the tax of driving a car so high that you're willing to i agree make a different choice and this isn't helping us you have to get cars choice. off the road. You cannot build bigger lanes. You can't put tolls in. The only way to help transportation and slow down traffic and help traffic in this town is to take cars off the road, which, of course, ironically, is what's happening to Cruz in its home market of San Francisco. After all these incidents, they were told they had to reduce their fleet by 50%. More scooters. Because it's not, oh, don't go that direction. Don't go that direction. Uh, quickly, some political notes here. Um, the Metro Council did meet before we get to our education conversation with Kelsey Byler of the Nashville scene. The, mat, the first Metro Council met on Tuesday, October 3rd. Angie Henderson running that meeting and all the processes that she's been working on. Not quite ironed out just yet, but I think her predecessor had some of the same issues. Uh, so they're working on how the 
the, the new body's working on how to push buttons and stuff like that. But what's the main takeaway? What's the main takeaway from the first ever meeting? I think it probably invar- involves some SRO funding. Give, give her time. Uh, it's, think, not, it's not her fault. I, I don't want it. some tech issues. So uh, it's not her fault. Messed her up a little bit. Front of the pod. But there was a $3.4 million grant from the state to provide funding for SROs in middle schools and high schools, which currently are happening today as a result of an MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, between MNPD and MNPS, Police and Public Schools. That grant would have simply taken a burden off the MNPD budget, a.k.a. the city council budget that it's passed, the metro budget, and we deferred it. They said, subsequent reporting has said that, you know, hey, the grant's not going to be impacted. But, like, this is a fiscal question. That policy decision is already made. Meaning that there are going to be SROs at middle schools and high schools in Davidson County. What is still open for debate is whether or not they're going to be in elementary schools, which you've heard me say before. Like, I don't want to live in that world, but that's the world we live in. But this was simply a fiscal matter, and it's not a good indicator of how things are going to function with this new council if we can't make layup decisions. What's the negative side of taking the saving ourselves $3.4 million? We don't want your savings. We're not going to save $3.4 million. <laughs> Fuck you. We're not going to do it. So you're saying that's an indicator of potentially the relationship between the city council and the state. <laughs> so it's like when this tax Great. increase we're talking about that's coming, it's like, well, hey, what are you doing with the money you got right now? Oh, well, you could have saved $3.4 million, but you didn't. You passed on that decision. <laughs> Ostensibly. Well, they haven't passed it all the way yet. It's just been deferred, right? Ostensibly to get some questions asked and answered. And maybe okay. for the good of the whole and all the new members, we say that's okay, but really. All right. It's not. Speaking of funding, uh, also in the news, the Tennessee state, excuse me, the U.S. Senate race in the state of Tennessee. Some financing numbers are out. Gloria Johnson raised $1.3 million in the first six weeks. Uh, Marsha Blackburn raised $2.7 million in the first six weeks. She has $6.5 million on hand. The money they've raised and the money they've spent on their campaigns from July 1st to September 30th is due coming up here on October 15th. So we'll get another financial picture of this race and again reminder no democrat has won a statewide race since 2006 and i don't imagine that 2024 is going to change that trend uh to me this is a communications messaging campaign if i'm giving gloria johnson some unsolicited advice here if you're going to raise all that charge for that i should if you're going to raise all that money and you're going to spend all that money and you're going to use all that time to run a race with all due respect no offense you're not going to win. Again, Marshall won by, I think, 11 points. Phil Bredesen spent $19 million to lose by 11 points to Marshall Blackburn uh, a couple of years ago. This is about 2030, in my opinion. It is about softening up the ground and throwing body blows. If I'm a comms director running and helping Gloria Johnson here, I it, she, Marsha Blackburn, does not care about you. It's amazing. The best messaging strategies, Jamie, generally are ones that are true. <laughs> Those are generally the ones that work and ones that appeal to, to everybody. And it's to me, there's a very easy strategy here. If you're going to do all this work and spend all this money, do it so that it benefits your party in the 2030 election, because I think that's really the only chance you've got. 
Sorry, yeah. to, sorry to be a giant wet blanket to everybody. Two quick comments. One, I think those numbers are reported by the campaigns. They've not been verified in the disclosures, which you mentioned are due later on this month. But two, to the extent that campaign <laughs> has any viability, I would ask you to look to the north where a now mute or minority leader in the Senate was reelected in Kentucky. We don't call Amy McGrath Senator McGrath, do we? Uh, we we do not. And if no. former former military officer, uh, very popular. Uh, listen, listen again. To me, this is a comms play, a long term comms play where you have to throw body blows for an entire campaign and show people the truth about who and what Marsha Blackburn is. She she does not care uh, about the people of this state, and. That's 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 the comms approach for me. I don't know. That's all it is. I, I don't think it's anything more than that. And then hopefully a, uh, an inspiring candidate comes along in 2030 and maybe can do some more damage. It, you got to play the long game here. So uh, also quick politic note. Justin Jones filing a lawsuit <laughs> against Cameron Sexton. I, I am unsure what said lawsuit is supposed to accomplish. He has raised a ton of money has some really deep ties to some D.C. law firms now. And what I think is interesting is I'm not sure what he's trying to accomplish uh, in the situation, and I don't know if there's any more to say about it. I think maybe the take on this, the lawsuit is that we don't need to talk about the lawsuit. Back during the special session, it could have been regular session, I'm not 100% sure, the former Attorney General of the United States, Eric Holder, Attorney General under President Obama, he wrote a letter to the Speaker of the House saying he was representing number 132. And I notice from the complaint, Eric Holder's name is not on the complaint. And number 132 filed that in his individual capacity, not his official capacity. And the likelihood of him prevailing on that is slim and none. Well, I, slim I, and none. <laughs> I don't and even, I just saw I don't Slim the, with his guitar leaving town. I don't understand the the goal i mean if i mean it, he can't be 133 well we're, it, we're constitutionally capped at 132 cameron sexton should get a cut of the proceeds from how much he's money he's raised so and the other members of the house cameron sexton did not expel him yeah that's true that's true oh uh, more than 50 members of the house expelled him I, I think justin was justin jones was doing what he thought was was right for his constituents in the moment and then cameron sexton decided something Yes, it's within my legal rights to silence you in this conversation because you're not on, quote-unquote, on topic. But at the end of the day, that's a dumb move, too, because it's led to this. It's led to more noise, and it's led to more attention, and Justin Jones raises more money because of that, and he can go fight the fights that he wants to fight. And so, again, it was within his legal rights to do it. It just seems stupid I mean, I, for, I think, for, I think for Cameron it, Sexton to have done it. I think it's lazy to say the Speaker of the House did something. They have a supermajority, and he acts in a representative capacity for those members of the House GOP caucus. The House GOP caucus did that. He's the one, the speaker that is, the one that takes the bullets for it. It's the majority of the House. In this case, supermajority. I think, uh, other than that, I think those are those are just all the headlines, Jamie, for for the week. <laughs> well, uh, do you want to talk about uh, the golden this, ticket, the, the golden ticket rule here before, before this, we talk education? <laughs> well, before we do, we're we're gonna. I got one more. Oh, let's lay it on me. Do you think the new honky tonk that's coming to the east side oh God. on the company out of Brooklyn, do you think they're going to be a safe bar? 
I, I'm, I'll walk in and ask. <laughs> I, I can hear fucking, our, fucking our I can hear song. our East Nashville ancestors rolling over <laughs> in their graves, screaming on Facebook right now about the fact that a honky tonk out of Brooklyn is coming within walking distance of five points. What's fascinating is, and I'm not going to use the name here, but like community led decisions to use or not use a business can be very powerful. And if we all decide we want to go ask certain establishments to be a part of this program or we're not coming, I, I, there's one community I trust to do that, and that's East Nashville. Well, Three Crow, so, three crow Bar. Oh, you used the name. Okay. All right. <laughs> three Crow Bar. Dunzo. Did some pretty shitty things to their employees. Does not they exist. They were done. Doesn't exist anymore. They were boycotted over here on the east side. Okay. All right. Are you going to talk about... You want to talk about Matt Gates too? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're bringing that shit up. I am not. You I just I did. Think I think it's fun to watch. You just did. I think it's fun to watch. Representative <laughs> Matt Gates <laughs> did something historical. Never happened before. A, sp- a speaker of the United States House of Representatives has never been kicked out of the office by vote. Matty Gates did that. <laughs> He's done a lot of things. Kind of like Matty Ice. But saw this on X. Unusual underscore whales. <laughs> reports that Matt Gates will change to motion to vacate threshold if which he got from Kevin McCarthy when they held the speakership hostage for what a record 15 votes I believe <laughs> turns out when you make a deal with the fucking devil you're gonna get burned who knew <laughs> McCarthy what a clown but Matt Gates says if Congress enacts Ro Khanna's reform representative Ro Khanna of California 17th district. Which five point plan, but I'm only going to take up two of them. Bans congressional stock trading. Holy shit. I think if you put that on a poll, 98% yeah, would, of the yeah. public would say yes, we support that. 2% Congress would say no. M- mutual funds, fine. Individual stocks, no thank you. And enact 12 year term limits. And Matty Gates, Maddie Gates. <laughs> will agree to. <laughs> Increase that one vote, one member threshold to vacate the speaker's office. What good does that do, Ke- uh, old Kevin? Doesn't help him out right now, <laughs> does it? All, all he wanted was the 269 days in, in office. That's what, and he got it. But his little picture's on the wall now forever. Sit, he got it. Well, he gets the immediate past speaker's office, which is presumably a big deal, but he's not going to have that very long either. But if we're going to talk about that shithole in Congress... Then we need to talk about Senator Bernie Sanders. Oh, come on. Having 11 (laughs) people arrested for protesting with signs in his office. And what were they, what were the signs say? It was a quote of Bernie Sanders and they were protesting the war in Ukraine and he had them arrested. Why do you, why why did you feel the need to bring that up, Jamie? I was joking about Matt Gates, and now here we are <laughs> taking shots at working man populist Bernie Sanders. Some people were kicked out of a committee room in the House for holding signs, and it led to massive amounts of pearl clutching. I'm saying that same shit is going on. Okay. But they were ki- they were merely kicked out of the committee room. At least you Bernie made- Sanders had them arrested. <laughs> I'm glad you made the, the connection and drew the line. 
where you needed and felt you needed to draw the line. I way I'm to go. Saying, way I, to go. No, you're I, a hero I'm just of the saying, people. All this shit is perfor- the- it's performative bullshit. <laughs> I don't disagree sometimes. It's performative bullshit. I don't even have any comment about that. I, so so I now you want to talk about the golden ticket? I, I, let, yeah, let's talk about something that's related to Nashville. And and we did not talk about this with uh, with Kelsey. We'll have the education coming coming up with her in just a second. But there, there is it's been deferred. The vote on this has been deferred, so it's not official. But there's a process right now where again it's supposed to be a lottery system to get into the the magnet schools that are what considered largely the best schools in the state or in the city. And I mean MLK and Hume Fogg, they're on the list of top schools in the nation, right? Basically every year. And how do you? How are you supposed to? get into those schools it is supposed to be a lottery system for both the middle schools and the high schools and i I guess the way i understand it is that if you got into the middle school you had a more what a higher percentage chance or a higher opportunity to get into the the high schools and there is some academic thresholds you need to clear to to be eligible etc etc there was a a really scary incident with a total swat lockdown at mlk recently because of a threat, which is now a rising problem in metro schools, where you know kids think it's funny to call in these 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 shooter threats, and it's just not obviously, and so they've got to take them very seriously. And and they, even though the police department understands something that's called in is almost zero percent chance of being real, they still have to take it seriously. So MLK locks down, and it'd be you'd be amazed, you'd be amazed at how random that lottery appears to be with whose kids are in that school. Golden ticket lottery lucky. I, I guess. Because the once the current system operates, once you're making it into the middle school, that puts you on the pathway to MLK or Hume Fog. And they're gonna ch- there's potential to change that rule to say you have to go through the lottery system again at the start of high school, correct? I, I think that's basic tenor of it, that just because you're in that middle school doesn't mean... Yeah. And that process has been in place for several years and maybe as a result you're going to see that all this rah 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 for public schools doesn't exist anymore there's going to be erosion of the participation in the public school system but yes yeah, interesting development on who who started posting on x who was about, very concerned about the safety of their children at mlk understandably so sure of course 100 percent warranted yep yeah, it was but, a, but a very distinct cross section of the population. You're saying? I think you said that. I am saying. I did not say that. We are you saying. Said that. We are saying in you our in our opinion. <laughs> in my opinion, the lottery may not be as lottery ish as we think. I'll just put it at that. Does that sound good? I wish my. In my opinion. I wish my lottery ticket purchase (laughs) at my local market had such good odds (sighs) some distinguished members of the national community all happen to be at the same school despite the fact i would say it is a lottery system ordinary folk (laughs) all right would you like to talk to kelsey we want to hear from kelsey uh, all right, please please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We do appreciate it. Five stars only. Thank you, Tennessee Supreme Court, for listening. Uh, here is our conversation with education reporter from the Nashville scene, Kelsey Byler. Joining us in studio, education reporter for the Nashville scene, 
Kelsey Byler, thank you so much for coming in. Kelsey, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So we start very broadly with every one of our guests to try to you know, educate as many people as possible. We're going to talk education with you. That is your beat. Um, and we'll talk about the coverage. We'll talk about a lot of things today on the show. But I want to start with how is the Board of Education formed? Uh, and what do people need to know about the nine person body and, and how it works? Yeah, so it's an, they're elected officials uh, every, they, it, it staggers, right? So the, the odds get elected in one election cycle and then the even districts get elected in another election cycle. They <laughs> serve four-year terms. Yeah, four they year serve four-year terms. Four-year okay. terms, staggered every two. Nine people on the body. Nine. There's obviously a director of schools as well. Yes. So what is the dynamic between the director of schools and the Board of Education? So the Board of Education hires and evaluates the director of schools and... At all of the board meetings, you're going to have the director there in talking about things from the disti- district, giving the director's report, as they're called. But the board is going to be the one discussing that. They have to approve, you know, like high budget contracts. They have to approve all those. They also set policy for the district. They pass the budget. They decide whether or not to approve and renew charter schools and um, other things, too, like teacher hearings, stuff like that. Also, student disciplinary hearings. Yep, 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 yep. They're, they're the final arbiter of whether or not a decision by the principal is upheld if you go through three steps. The first one, if it's for a no-tolerance offense, is called a level one hearing. And it's a scam, really, because it can't be waived and you have to do it. But the bo- the hearing officers that hear that level one hearing have no discretion to alter it. Then you go to level two, and then if you seek further review you go to the full board how is it funded Uh, we know metros it's a big chunk of metros budget it's about a third of the budget we decide as taxpayers to give them a whole lot of money Mm -hmm. basically Mm -hmm. so walk us through that process and again we're, we're trying to be as layman's terms here as possible for folks we give them a whole lot of money and what what do we as voters what kind of power do we have to actually earmark that money for certain purposes you just mentioned all the different things that they vote on what do we do we actually have any accountability with that money and then how is it how is it funded well i'll start with just like interacting with the board in general when they're having a meeting a newer policy that has been in place well it's not a new policy but it's a new interpretation of a policy i guess we could say is that um, folks can go and and submit public comment at the meetings but now it has to be based on something that's on the agenda and you can find those agenda online Um, the mnps website has like a board of education tab and you can see minutes and agenda and stuff there it has to be posted prior to the meeting and so you have to like sign up to speak. And so, you know, if we're going through the budget process and you want to speak on the budget, you could go up and sign up and, and talk at the meetings, or you could just email board members um, to kind of get some input in. But regarding the funding and kind of just like how it works, we get the money from local taxes, from, you know, the Metro Council allocates funding. We get some state dollars. We get some federal dollars oh, yeah, we'll, in, we'll, in a perfect we'll, world. We'll, we'll discuss that in a second. <laughs> and then like the budget process happens every year. It happens around kind of starts like March, April, there'll be like community meetings about budget priorities and, and what folks want funded and stuff like that. And then the the school board will vote on kind of like a first round of it. And then that goes off to the mayor and then the mayor will kind of use that to inform his budget priorities for the year. And and then the Metro Council kind of takes it from there and, and they, you know, hash that out over like what, April, April, May, I guess, April, May, June, uh, there will be budget hearing uh, with, with the MNPS and 
then once the budget from the Metro Council is passed, it goes back to the school board for kind of like a final approval. And, and, and there can be a lot of shifting going on there depending on the year. And I think it was last year, maybe two years ago that, for example, the state didn't give Nashville as much money as they thought it would for, for schools. And so there had to be some shifting and, and finding the money there. And so all of that's kind of happening through the budget process, but that's how it works about every year. I think big picture in January, the director of schools goes and meets with the mayor. Mm. The way it typically happened. And the mayor says, here's how much capacity we have to give to the school system. Which is roughly one and a quarter billion dollars, give or take. Uh, according to the last budget, $1.2 billion. Yeah, All right, billion. that's pretty close there. I will say, too, that uh, MNPS has been doing, they have their, like, continuity of operations, which is like, here's how much money we need to keep doing what we've been doing. And then they present what they call an aspirational budget, which is almost like a wish list. And so it's not saying like, yeah, I mean, it is saying here are all the things that we want. Now you can kind of pick which ones you want to prioritize and fund. Well, the council ultimately, quote unquote, writes the check Mm -hmm. that gets approved. They do not have line item Mm -hmm. authority. They write the whole check to MNPS and MNPS and their budget puts it in how they want to. And that's a, a reflection of the director of schools and the school board. Mm-hmm. But then the mayor can maybe be like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the mayor will be like, mm-hmm. well, I want to make sure we prioritize funding paid family leave this year or this, how we have the best paid teachers in the States or whatever it is. So there will be those kind of talking points and stuff like that. Yeah. And it would be bad faith on behalf of the school board and the director of schools to not take te- increase in teacher pay 4% in this last budget to COLA cost of living adjustment. You know, it'd be bad faith if they didn't then follow through and do that. Cause that's the conversation. Cause our past mayor put more money into teacher funding than any mayor has in the last several mayors. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a, a, an accurate conversation? Is that, is that conversation accurate? It's not the right word. Is it transparent enough? Because a lot of things that break through, and I don't mean just social media wise, I just mean things that parents see through the course of their daily consumption of content, which, of course, we are all bombarded with things from every direction at all times. The things that break through are these weird things that are probably not a part of those discussions, right? It, it's these board meetings where one parent goes and yells about something or it's a uh, book bans or what, whatever stuff mm-hmm. that's not like. Do you think that the conversations that are happening from that January point to when the check is written from your perspective, you've been on the beat for a couple of years. Are, are they accurate? Like when the school board comes back and says, this is what we want. This is what we need. Here's the wish list. The, then the city debates, it discusses and writes the check. Do you think there's full transparency happening between both sides of the equation in that situation? Mm. I mean, like anything, I'm sure there's stuff that's kind of discussed behind closed doors. And I think there is, I mean, MNPS has, or yeah, the, the board has like budget committees. And so they hash through a lot of that stuff and, um, depending on, on who's there the, that day, there will be robust conversations about, you know, specific things such as teacher pay or cost of living adjustments or, or whatever it is. And so I think that the, it's, it's oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, they spend a good time hashing it out and they do a good bit of that in like that public kind of committee and, and board forum. But usually it's pretty... I think usually there's not a lot of back and forth on the board's end about what they want. And usually when they present it, it, unless some unforeseen thing happens like the state not giving as much money as initially anticipated, it, it usually ends up looking relatively 
like what it did when it was introduced. So both sides kind of have their eyes wide open at the end of the process, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better phrase. It feels like it's extremely, just as a parent of two children in metro schools, it seems extremely complicated and not enough information out there in general about what the how the process even works. Yeah, it took me a long time just to figure it out. And then, you know, a lot of that too is just, and this isn't really anyone's fault, but you get a lot of like, I call it like ed speak, right? Like a lot of like, oh, the t- the TISA allocation this year is going to be blah, 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 which means that our charter transfer is going to be, blah, blah, you know what I mean? And so there's just kind of a lot of that. When, when you hear the MNPS um, representatives kind of talking about it, it's easy to get confused in all of the, like industry specific terminology or whatever. And then also like we were just discussing, it's kind of hard to like find the budget. Like it's usually (laughs) in the, like we were trying to find the budget and I had to go back to like an old agenda and it might be somewhere else um, that's easier to access, but I don't know about. And so I think just like seeing the budget, but one thing that I've always liked about it is they'll do like a summary of changes. And so they'll kind of say like, here's what's kind of different this year compared to last year. So you don't have to go through and look at all the line items and like compare it to last year to see what's new and and that kind of stuff. Well, just like you mentioned, TISA. Yeah. Like, we colloquially know that as vouchers, right? Well, no, that is the... Um, I'm, I'm triggered. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Uh, TISA, 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 whatever, whatever. It's the Tennessee Investment in Student Achievement Act. Okay. And it is the new funding formula that the state passed, uh, I believe, two years ago now. So it's not BP more not BEP which, which was a basic education program yeah that now was, it's TISA yeah TISA yep got it yeah and so I mean I think she's coming to town later this month actually Bridgetown <laughs> <laughs> I it's just I am glad to hear you say that there is that it at least aligns with what it like I don't know it's again it's such a complicated process and I'm trying to learn as much as possible about this but it seems like that I, I'm already more hopeful that at least the presentation, the list of needs, the funding, the conversations between the, between the board and the city are a little bit more transparent than, than I expected, but that we still have to go seek it out and that there frankly is not enough of you around. I mean, we need more of, we need more of yous while walking around reporting on this stuff is what it feels like. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I want to note that some people I've heard have issues with the aspirational budget thing, because I think it's a little bit, um, some people can perceive it as just being a little bit too vague and it kind of can maybe take the onus off the district for having to make some of those harder decisions. So that's just another thing I want to throw in there. So can any one person really know what's going on with the board of education and the school system? <laughs> Yeah, you gotta read. You gotta read what I write. No, I'm just there, kidding. No, um, that's right. There you <laughs> go. Right. Yeah, give, give everybody the Twitter account, by the way. Uh, it's it's just my first and and last name. So there you go. So Kelsey Byler. But um, I mean, they hash a lot of things out at the school board, but at, at, at the meetings. But you know that there's been conversations probably about it beforehand. You know, we see what they uh, put out at the school board, and I think that's it's very well curated by the time it gets to the school board. Okay. That's fair because they don't operate as a traditional board or commission would operate. Is that your understanding? I don't know. What do you mean by that? They have what's called a governance model. Mm-hmm. I, I would call it team one voice. They don't like individual school board members to opine on the school system outside of any board meeting. They want to have a collaborative one voice speak for the board of education. And because they don't get in the weeds. Their job is to hold one person accountable as opposed to getting in the weeds of operations. 
whether that be hiring or firing of a principal at you know elementary middle or high school you know you've heard them talk about sros that's the hottest conversation now the council just had a a grant from the state which i think was deferred but relative to funding sros in middle and high school that the function of that comes via mou memorandum of understanding between mnpd and mnps but we don't have that for high schools because there's approximately elementary schools. excuse me elementary schools because there's 70 elementary schools and i went to chief anderson years ago to do that i think after uvalde because by not having some sort of protection there we've essentially made a public statement that says hey come get our elementary school students in light of the school shootings because post covenant we're having what more threats being called in to our high schools that's just a long anecdote there yeah a lot to unpack there for sure Um, (laughs) well well, i mean you wrote you've written about the threats and we'll get to that i guess i want to go back to the governance uh, and the the, the team team one voice director of schools is adrian battle Mm -hmm. how does how does one become director of schools and then how does how is that person held accountable again there will be a a review of her performance essentially for lack of a better phrase i guess coming up on october 24th so give us the the, the simplest and sort of understanding of how how that process works? Well, I have to say I wasn't a reporter when they were going through the process of finding Dr. Battle. So I'm not like personally and intimately familiar with it. But I know that, you know, the, the, the school board brings in a superintendent. Uh, Dr. Battle was interim for a while. Was it I always get them confused. Is it Sean Joseph or Jesse Register right before her? Sean Joseph. Sean Joseph was right before her. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, she worked for MNPS, I believe. But yeah, so I mean, I'm not quite sure how her, you know, resume got on the the board's desk to consider for for being a superintendent, but they brought her in as the interim and then decided to hire her. And and then now continuation in that process is uh, evaluating her. Like like you said, we're going to see here coming up in October, October. Do do you think the nine person board of education does an adequate job of evaluating the director? Ask me after the (laughs) (laughs) after the director evaluation this year. (laughs) I mean, how, how, I guess the, maybe the more pointed question is how, how can parents be a part of that process? Is it just voicing your opinions to your, your district's board? board yeah. Member? Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, really any way to engage with the board is to like, if, if you can build a relationship with your district's board member, which you can find on the, uh, again, you can figure out which district, um, which board member represents your district on the MNPS website. But if you can, like, build a relationship with them, um, email them, and, and, and talk about whatever it is from here's this issue at my school that I want you to know about to, like, hey, I just want you to consider this and, and my thoughts and feelings about the superintendent um, as you go into your evaluation season um, or here's what I think we should be prioritized on the budget. Like I said, you can talk about that in front of them at those school board meetings uh, in that more public forum, but it has to align with that day's agenda. It's, it sounds so special sessionist to me. It's like, <laughs> oh, you can talk about it, but only if we've put it on the list. Well, the the former board chair didn't do it like that. And then that was when we were seeing, like, I mean, that was like 2022 when, when things were just crazy and parents were like, yeah, no masks, commies. and Which like, is the stuff that goes viral, of course. And then everybody sees all that and doesn't see any of the actual conversations that are happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of that's just kind of like fluff and, and theater versus the like yeah. real kind of nitty gritty like decisions that are affecting students that are that are being you know that stuff is is harder to engage with and just on like a you have to know a lot to be able to like have a solid understanding of it and then it's also 
yeah, you're not going to see those clips as often um, strewn throughout social media for like. Do we have enough bus drivers that are working every day to get our kids to school? Probably not. I haven't checked on the staffing levels recently. Uh, I know that that was a crisis in 2021. Um, I know that they've done some things to bring on some more, but I haven't, I haven't paid attention to it as much recently, but probably not. I mean, isn't that the tied directly to all of our start times for all the different tiers of school, which as a parent who had to pick up a child at 3 PM in the middle of my work day, I, I have opinions about when school should start, but that's, again, I'm just one person, but isn't that essentially why they are, they're, the high schools start when they do and the middle schools start when they do and the elementary schools start when they do is so that the bus drivers can, they because we don't have enough of them to keep, I guess, every school running at the right time that we want it to. Am I wrong on that? It's related for sure. But, you know, to me, that's an evaluation point. Like, do you have, have you hired enough people to get our kids to school? Like, that's not relative to someone's <laughs> educational attainment. But right. do you have enough people to get the kids to school? You know, that's step one. It's kind of like picking up the trash and paving the roads. Yeah, yeah. These, mm-hmm. these are the basics that have to be done. Yeah, and I think one of the struggles, too, is that if you have a CDL license or whatever that license is, you probably go drive for a commercial company and make a lot more and not have to deal with, like, kids fighting on the bus every day and you can't, like, touch them. Or, you know what I mean? T- teachers and bus drivers doing God's work, that's that's for sure. Facts. It's a classroom on wheels. <laughs> I mean, I only have two, and I'm exhausted all the time so i i don't envy the situation do, do you think that the i mean how, how do you think the director has done well in, I, I, before okay before right. you pin her down like that <laughs> in your opinion what do you think the school board how do you think the school board will evaluate her i think they'll be favorable i think there's a lot of um there's a lot of encouragement on the board we've seen previous iterations of the boards where there was a lot of contention and a lot of kind of fighting between members and this board is kind of their thing is that they're very cohesive and and they all get along very well and they're all kind of supportive of each other on the board floor right i mean i'm sure that team one voice I'm, I'm, i'm i'm sure they disagree with things but but you don't see that being hashed out as much on the board floor do you know what the enrollment is in public schools right now Oh yeah, here's a for for folks who want to know more about like um, data for the district. It's kind of hard to find, but it's really helpful if you go to the MNPS and you go to uh, the About tab in the top right corner, and then Communications. Uh, from there, you can click on Open Data Portal, and then you're gonna get all of the data for school. Right, it's gonna show you it's loading right now. Um, it's going to show you right now there are it says there are eight thousand or eighty one thousand one hundred and fifty seven students at one hundred and fifty nine schools one hundred and forty two languages spoken one hundred and forty seven student birth countries twenty eight percent limited English proficiency you know so there's all these kinds of breakdowns right here right here it says um thirty eight point five rounding up percent of the district is black or african american thirty three percent is hispanic latino and twenty four percent is white uh, and then you can also look at all of the like enrollment and student assessment and attendance and behavior data for for the district in each school. And so that's a really um, interesting place to go if you haven't been there already. 24% of 81,000 students are white. Okay. Just want to make sure that number was reiterated because that's not the percentages of Davidson County. Just put, (laughs) just putting it out there. Yeah. In your opinion, Kelsey, what? Well, she ducked that first question other than to say favorable. She did. She didn't give us a letter grade. That's okay. But <laughs> okay, how about th- how about this? What should parents be? What what metrics should they be using to evaluate? Not not the school board, but what should parents be using to evaluate the job that Doctor Battle has done 
in your opinion? There's all kinds of data and stuff like that, right? More recently, the district level TVOS, um, Tennessee Value Added Assessment System, I believe. MNPS, I think for the past two years, has received a level five. And, and that measures growth, right? So that's not academic achievement. That's not saying all of our students are scoring the highest that they can. We know that that's not true. We know that there are a lot of um, achievement-related academic gains that need to be made in, in MNPS and in districts around Tennessee, right? Um, but we can measure growth through TVOS, and, and, and growth, I think, is important. It's not the entire piece of the conversation, and the, and the district focuses on it a lot, but I think it's important to pay attention to growth because it does acknowledge that a lot of the students, or it just acknowledges the fact that some of the students that the district educates come in with less resources than other students, right? If you're, have, if you're from a low-income family, you may be are not receiving the nutrition you need, you're not going to do as well in schools, right? So there's so many outside factors that the school district doesn't have control over that kind of come with the students once they get in the schools. And you can't fault the district for that, but you can pay attention to what they do with that then, right? Is that student growing? Are they, if they're not scoring in the top percentile of reading because of, you know, X, Y, Z factors, are they at least growing? And what is that growth looking like? And so on a district-wide level, that growth has exceeded state expectations. And I think that is worth noting. Now, does that mean that, all right, we're good to go. MNPS is like succeeding, doing the best we can. I mean, there's always things that you're going to have to pay attention to. And there's always things that are going to be needed to be improved on. Um, but that is one mechanism. And I think um, you can look at that on a district level and also a schools level. And so that is a way that you can kind of look about how, how the superintendent is doing. But I think a lot of things that I hear from parents, too, is just kind of how they feel when they interact with the district. And mm. I've heard a lot of like kind of criticism about not feeling very heard. And when they do bring up issues that are important to them, um, w which can be a range of things from, you know, I don't want the seahorse book being in my children's library to... Um, <laughs> How dare that seahorse? Yeah, right. To to this teacher is has really concerning behavior or my principal isn't doing what I need my principal to do or all of these kinds of things, right? So there's that range, but I hear frequently that parents don't feel heard by the district and that when they present problems, it's always kind of like a... Uh, Pat on the head? I think maybe steamrolled could be a good good word. You know, they, they feel steamrolled with like a well-worded response. And I think a lot of parents would love to hear, hey, we hear you. We see what you mean. Maybe we didn't do is right there. We acknowledge that. Here's how we're going to do better. I mean, I've heard people talk about that more than once. So uh, all criticism is not well received. Yeah. You know, they've got a comm shop down there surrounding Dr. Battle. So any negativity they're going to block and tackle on that mm -hmm. all day every day mm -hmm. and no you got that wrong and certainly to your point you know parents coming down there just to think an individual parent coming down there to complain to Bransford Avenue like I, I can see where that's not going to go well for you mm -hmm. yeah I definitely don't envy anybody in the MNPS communications department when, <laughs> with all the things that have to be answered to <laughs> well, you mentioned some of the issues I'm curious because it, it, it can be overwhelming like expulsion rates you talked about nutrition we've talked now about threats that are happening gun violence threats that are i'm assuming largely pranks by young people that think it's hilarious to to call in these mass shooting threats but it, what are the issues that you think are most we got the third grade thing that of course was a huge hot button issue retention that, retention that makes it into mm -hmm. 
and I know Jam- I can hear Jamie's voice already. Well, we need to have affordable housing for teachers to live in the communities. Like what, what are the issues that these parents are presenting to the board that you think are not being heard? Well, you know, you can't just go to the board now and talk and say this bad thing happened at my school and I want you to know about it if it's not on the agenda. Right. And so we're not seeing as much of that, um, the public, because maybe more that's happening now through emails or phone calls directly to board members. One that comes to mind was this was a while ago at a middle school. Um, There was an incident where a student had brought a gun into the school and the parents didn't feel like there had been proper communication following that and that the proper, I can't remember if they were mad about how the situation, I think they were just upset about how the situation was handled. And, and, and so they were wanting to, you know, have a conversation with the district about that. Talk to the principal. They had just gotten a new principal. So I think there was maybe some growing pains there. I think they weren't happy with the performance of of one person or the other. Right. And so there was going to be like a town hall for that. And I think parents were hoping that it would be a bit more of a back and forth and it read more as a presentation. That's just an example. Yeah. It's not very democratized is what I'm hearing. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so hard. Like every school has its own mini universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think every school needs its own communications team and it doesn't have one. And so there are all these like fires, I guess sometimes that happen that you got to put out and, and then, and then to like, Rightfully so. Parents get really emotional and worked up about this stuff. We're talking about their students' safety. We're talking about. Oh, you, dude, yeah. don't, don't bring up the word voucher around my wife. Like, just don't. <laughs> you you, you want to see, see one of the kindest people in the world turn into a, a raving lunatic. Well, and, and I will note, too, that's not something that the school board has a ton of right, power on. Right. And I think there is a lot of kind of confusion between what the school board has done and what the state has done. And so, you know, we could, we could get into that. Vouchers are, of course, a, a state thing. Yep. Um, but, but I think that's worth noting as well, is if you're going to be mad at the district, make sure that it's a district and not a state thing. It's the right thing. Like is, third grade retention. Is the voucher conversation over, in your opinion? No, 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 no. And I think we're going to... It, it was weird. It, like, started so quick, right? Because... They passed the education savings account legislation and then it was blocked in court for years, I think. And then all of a sudden it was like, all right, you can do those now. And then the state was like, all right, we're doing it like right away. And so I think because that implementation was so quick, I think we're kind of on the ramp up. And I think we're going to be seeing just kind of more conversations about potentially expanding it or just more conversations about how it's going and stuff like that. Uh, so we pre- we presented this sort of best case worst case about this 1.9 billion dollar funding from the state that that is consi- they're considering not giving essentially to to schools across the, uh, the the entire state most of which by the way as we sort of illustrated last week on the show it's the rural counties in the state that need that money far more it's disabled communities it's uh, low income nutritional uh, communities as well food it's all you know all the people that need things yeah. Um, and it's not like the money would, would disappear and then not reappear in another form. It's sort of what are the strings that are attached to that money that, that if it's coming from the state. My thought on it last week was this is, this is politics. This is, is state GOP folks signaling to a base that they have a, a particular stance on a particular issue. Um, there are some far worse case scenarios with that money. But that's the thing in the news the last couple of weeks that parents ask me about. And I mm-hmm. say my hope is that from people that I've talked with, in this in the Senate and the House that it's 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 all politics. Do you get a sense that that they're bluffing? 
and that they're posturing and that they're signaling to their base? Or do you get a sense that they're really going to withhold $1.9 billion and then figure out another way to, to provide their own money to their own people, essentially? Yeah, if you would have asked me that early in the year, I might have said, yeah, I think it's just bluffing like they just mentioned it. It wasn't really. But now they're creating that committee to seriously consider it. I don't know what's going to come out of that committee. I don't know. But it seems like they're taking it more seriously, which means that I'm taking it more seriously. All right. Then what about the the retention and third grade stuff? What do people need to know about that conversation and how it unfolded and how it how it's where it's going? Yeah, so I'm sure any parent of a third grader knows what this is by now. Um, it, it went into effect for the first time um, this past school year. So basically, if you are a third grader and you do not score high enough on the TCAP for English and Language Arts, which is um, proficient, then you have to either, depending on your score, right, if you scored like approaching, then you have to do one of two things to kind of remediate the situation, which I'll talk about. Or, or if you felt like below, then you have to do both. Uh, and those things are attending a summer school program uh, and or receiving like targeted tutoring in fourth grade. But I think what a lot of people too are, or something that isn't talked about as often is that you then have to, those students then have to show adequate growth, right? So at the end of the summer camp or in fourth grade. And so we're seeing that first round of students who were affected by this. And we're going to be seeing in this coming year, how many may, might be retained in fourth grade because they didn't, you know, receive adequate or they didn't show adequate growth. Uh, and so I think that's one of the most important things to continue to watch out for. Well, I'll just add, Braden, on the charter school front, mm -hmm. there's approximately, whether it's locally approved, whether it's state charter commission approved, or whether it's achievement school district, that total student population is just under $16,000, taking $258 million out of that $1.2 billion. Wait, so, so wait, layout. you're saying the uh, of the $7,000 voucher system – how much has been taken is what you're... No, I'm talking about just charter schools. Roughly 16,000 students, and that's $16,295 per student for a $258 million are going, being distributed to charter schools, whether that comes directly from the state or from the state to MNPS to the charter school. So of that $1.2 it's reduced by about $258 million going to charter schools. Got 20% roughly. Okay. You're the math guy. Yep. And I think it's interesting too. And one thing that um, parents don't really have to interact with as much because they're just taking their kids to school. But now some charter schools are being run by MNPS and some are being run by the state through the charter commission. Those are different, like technically, those are technically like different districts, right? They're all in Davidson County, but they're different local education authorities. Um, mm. I think you can probably move in between the, the few and I don't, I don't know how, seamless or not seamless that transition would be but uh, there are you know several districts operating within mnps just the, the just the Nashville. simplest issue in our entire society just it's such a complicated issue do you talk to like uh, this is kind of weird as a like it's more of a media question but it's got to be complicated to sort of report on what children feel and think or even even you know young adults in high school what they feel and think do you get any sense at all about what they are concerned about, what the kids themselves are talking about. Uh, we certainly know that they are aware of the gun violence issue, uh, you know, with the lockdowns and the all the, the, the nonsense. But out, outside of just that, is there anything that you get a sense of that they are focused on and concerned about? 
School threats, of course, is a big one. I, I think not as much now because it's not as like in the news as it was within the past couple years. But when the book challenges were happening, I I, I, has, I always hesitate to say ban, right? Because, I mean, remove from curriculum, you are, I guess, banning a teacher from being able to teach it. But and, and removing from libraries, I guess, is a ban. But I always just try to be a little bit more careful. But when that was happening, I mean, the students were like, I don't know why they're doing this. And now we're all just going to read those books anyways <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, like they're, they're more likely to go read it now that it's been put on some list by an adult. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. was like music when they started putting explicit al- yeah, like labels on the albums. Yeah. You tell someone that it's, they shouldn't listen to it or that it's, or, or read it or, or that it's explicit or, you know, whatever yep. you're going to yep. create like an appeal yep. for the, yep. for the student. If you put a naked baby on the cover of an alt rock record in 1994, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> 12 year old Braden was going to buy it. That's exactly what happened. And, uh, all right. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much, uh, for coming in. Uh, obviously we'll, we'll talk, we'll, we'll, ha- we'll have you back on following the October 24th review of, of Dr. Battle and we'll see how that all went. Um, we do appreciate it. Follow her work. Of course, where can people get to you on Twitter and all over the website there? X Braden. That's, that's, they, they people, even the news media, every story I read, it says on X comma, it formerly, not, 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 formerly not, known as Twitter, not in the national scene. No, I've, I've said that. I was on X, formerly Twitter. Okay. I've read multiple uh, articles. Boom. I've read Fact multiple articles. In real time. <laughs> I was reading one last night on the Nashville scene that said, you can follow so-and-so on Twitter. And I was like, good, good. Do you walk around calling it meta or do you walk around calling it Facebook and so Instagram? So you're, cha- you're changing. You're changing. No, I'm just, I'm saying it's These all. These are apples and pandas. Apples and pandas. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think, right, there's a difference between what we want to call it and what it is, the actual name of it is. And so I think, you know, there's there's some... You can go back and forth on what you choose to call it, but the name is the name. That's that. that I'm not defending it. I think it's that, dumb, but th- thank you. That's all I. That's all I really <laughs> wanted. That's all I wanted. Kelsey, thank you so much. Uh, we'll give everybody at Kelsey uh, Byler. Yeah, so at Kelsey underscore Byler. So my last name is B E Y E L E R. Um, and then yeah, you can read my articles on the National Scene dot com, or, or you can pick up the the papers from the stands because we love print journalism. Yes, and, we do. Um, Nashville Post sometimes my articles appear in there. I'm on LinkedIn, that kind of stuff. Well, we're very glad that you're on the beat uh, and that somebody's on the beat and and is writing about this stuff and and uh so please everybody go check it out and, and support good local journalism thank you so much because we appreciate it thank you thank you that was kelsey byler of the nashville scene covering education and we'll have another conversation with her coming up as uh dr battle is reviewed on october 24th and we've still got a couple of those votes as we mentioned earlier the the, the we're, gonna, we're we're calling it the golden ticket rule is being reviewed they're going to be some other uh, board of education meetings as well I, I just find it jamie your kids are older than mine I just find the entire education funding and how it functions between the board and the director of schools and the mayor's office and the council. Uh, you've got charter schools, you've got vouchers, you've got state rules. You got, it's just extraordinarily complicated. It's it's even difficult to just go online and find out what district you're in. And I, there's got to be ways for it to be simpler for parents to be involved in the process. And as Kelsey was pointing out, uh, steamrolled is the word she used about how parents feel when they try to present things that they care about to the Board of Education. It's a $1.2 billion operation that I would say is the most opaque $1.2 billion operation in Nashville. And the council and the rest of the metropolitan government gets covered about 10 to 1. And I would like to see that change. I wish there was more reporters that were dedicated to it. Most of the time when it, when you hear about something, it's because something bad happened and not even 
you know, when somebody brings a gun on campus, does it make a whole lot of news? And I wish that was not the case. Yeah. Uh, it, as we talked about with Kelsey, like there's just not many people that are on the beat in general. And the processes are so complicated and intricate and, as you said, opaque. It's like, man, we could my, – my, I'm, I'm, my kids could use a little bit more uh, – what is it? Shine, light is the best disinfectant sort of thing. So uh, do you want to talk about the Memphis mayor, the brand-new Memphis mayor for a second before we send everybody on their merry way this week? Got a new mayor in Memphis, Paul Young, the progressive pick-to-click – was backed by Justin Pearson, Representative Justin Pearson out of Memphis. I think his out of his post-expulsion windfall uh, contributed about $100,000 to Van Turner. I think Van Turner came in third. Congrats to the new mayor of Memphis, Paul Young. You told that entire story just to say that Justin Pearson lost? Is that what you... What is, what, what is the importance of Paul Young? I'm just saying, maybe it's a maybe more, more of a centrist candidate, in your opinion. Maybe more of a centrist candidate, but maybe yeah. you know someone that represents one house district is not the majority of the state on any one topic. I think most people agree with you on that. Otherwise, and, and lastly, just want to say, right. obviously, although never told to me, friend of the pod, Nicole Williams. Wrote a story in the Tennessee Lookout. Called me a politic Nashville politics podcaster, mm. without linking to the show or mentioning the name of the show. And the, we had the it, nerve. We had Holly McCall on here as a guest. Holly, help! Thought you were the editor. Come on, hyperlinks, y'all. But give us some love. I appreciate her. Not calling me what Stephen number two <laughs> calls me. What I like to call you. And perhaps. You'd rather be considered a podcaster than a former council member? That's the truth? Yes. Okay. Perhaps we learned that number two is no longer in the interim. So congratulations. Congratulations, number two. Full-time editor. If you know, you know. Thank you for listening. Rate, review, and subscribe. Follow him on Twitter at J.R. Holland. You can follow me at Braden Gall. We'll talk to you next week, guys. Y'all the one that put it fucking out there. Yeah, yeah, dude, I didn't you, fucking tell you to do you that. Tell me, like, I'm just a human being reading Twitter. Like, I can tell. Like, wait a second. How did all these motherfuckers get in the same school? What are you talking about? That was a fucking lottery. <laughs> what are you talking about? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at it.